I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everyone? I'm Noah Daniels. Hey, y'all. I'm JJ. And hi, I'm Kat. That's not Kat. No, she's at, she's at a, a, I don't know what you, I guess it's a, a bridal shower, yeah. but with, <laughs> a, it's really just dinner with her coworkers who are throwing a, a surprise bridal shower that she had to kind of plan a little bit. But anyways, fun for her, but super sad that she's going to miss out on this episode. Yeah, you guys are getting close to the wedding date. You feeling nervous? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you but, at that point where you're just like, let's just do the thing because this is exhausting? Oh my gosh. I yeah. I told her last night, I was like, you know, I'm really excited for a wedding, but like, let's never get married again. Like, let's, let's just not. So on this episode, we have Valerie. Valerie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. And so... Catherine, um, the medium, did she point you towards our podcast? She did. She did. I found her and, and binged all of that. And then I heard her make mention and I was like, well, let, let me see here. And so, um, yeah. And so now, so originally I have this weird brain that I had to start from the oldest and try to get to the newest because I feel mm. like that's giving respect to the order that you guys do your thing in. And so then when I realized I, um, when I heard back from you guys, I was like, Oh shit, let me go to the newest one. So I don't sound like a <sighs> moron. So I've been just listening a lot. Well, there, spoilers, Kat a... and JJ are getting married. So I guess it's spoiled. That. <laughs> I know. I was like, there's a child now. Yeah. Like, Oh my gosh. There's, there's a, there's a character arc that the payoff at the end is really worth it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah a... so I, I caught up on the most recent. So now I'm back to my original order. So 
Well, one thing we love to find out from our guests is where they fall on the believe meter Zero meaning they don't believe in ghosts and 10 ghosts are absolutely real. Where do you fall on that scale? So I, um, my brain works in a strange way. So here's the thing, like I believe in the experiences that I've had. Um, mm-hmm. I never will commit to being a 10 on anything because I um, overanalyze everything, mm-hmm. but I'm also super skeptical. So I think I believe like a, a eight and a half, nine when it comes to that goes to real. However, my faith in people is, is low sometimes. So um, whenever I hear things or experience things with other people, I have to challenge like, is this um, a valid representation of what's going on? Is this truthful? Do I, do I believe this human? So mm-hmm. um it, I don't have a direct answer, but yes, I believe that goes to real, but I'll never claim a 10. Reading through your email, there was a particular haunting individual that you mentioned from your youth that sounded terrifying. So why don't you start us from those early hauntings? Absolutely. So I grew up in Southern California, um, a place called Simi Valley. It's in Ventura County, um, born there. Uh, my parents divorced before I was like a year old. So it was me and my mom and like my grandparents for a while. And um, my mom remarried, we got into a house instead of an apartment and my stepdad lived there and, you know, life's cool. Um, I didn't have the best relationships, uh, growing up with like my mom. Um, I was more bonded to my grandma. I do think that is important information. <laughs> Anyhow, um, I can remember from the time we moved into that house, my original bedroom was, um, it was like a five bedroom house. My original bedroom was right across the hall from my mom and my stepdad and the first recollection I have of anything happening, you know, I'm probably um, six and a half years old, seven, maybe, you know, it's pretty vague, but I'm in my, I had a water bed because, you know, the eighties were nice. cool. I'm in my little bed and I'm trying to sleep. And all of a sudden I came to, to consciousness and I couldn't move. Um, I've never had another paralysis type situation except for this one. And I couldn't yell. And I was very aware, like I could hear the ceiling fan, you know, I could, I could hear the things I knew I was present in the space and I was just like freaking out internally. And so eventually I start trying to move. I start trying to move and I'm like, oh gosh, like I can take a deep breath again. I can move. I need to go out of this room and I need to get my mom, which was not usually my go-to. I didn't usually go to mom. I processed kind of things on my own. And so I try to get out of my room and, and the way my room was set up, like my, my bed was on one wall and there was a little gap with like a a nightstand on this wall and then the door and so I'm trying to get up and the nightstand had been moved blocking like in in my seven-year-old brain there was only one way to get out of my bed and it was on that side of the bed trying to get to the door but the nightstand had been rotated and so I'm like running into the nightstand and you know couldn't figure out how to get around it and you know not realizing I could have probably crossed the bed on the other side. I believe there was space there. And so it felt like that went on for hours. I very much felt like I wasn't alone in my room. Never once called out because I wasn't like a, hey, mom, come save me kind of child. Mm -hmm. And eventually just climbed back into bed and covered my head. And I can remember um, when I would spend time with my bio dad's family, they were pretty religious. And so I can just remember like in my head and maybe even out loud saying like, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Like I was terrified and eventually fell back asleep. So I wake up in the morning and my nightstand is in fact moved and I had to move it. And I I pushed it back with my little six and a half year old, seven year old self and just went about life. Like I never told my, my mom, I never told anybody that that had happened. And so from that moment on, I think I just had this like knowing that some things happen and some things are weird. And that was really scary. But, um, sometimes grownups were kind of scary when I was a kid. So I didn't feel the need to, to talk about it. Hmm. 
Do you feel that the nightstand is the thing that convinced you that it actually happened? Waking up in the morning and seeing it like that? Absolutely. Um, I know that sounds like kind of big thinking for a small child, but I can remember like wake, waking up in the morning, still completely covered in my blankets. And like, did that happen? Like, did, did that happen? Like I, I'm a kid, like, did that happen? And seeing the nightstand like that and remembering then it all kind of came back like, oh wait, I couldn't move. You know, I was in my bed and couldn't move when this all started. So I kind of like looking back, kind of logic my way out of like, maybe I moved it. You know, maybe I was sleepwalking or, or something. I'm, I'm not saying that couldn't have happened being that young and that being a really vague like situation, but it was definitely started my knowingness. Yeah, that that's, makes- that's a kind of a freaky thing when something has happened that you can't account for like that. I just yeah. today, but I blame this on sleep deprivation just from having a young kid, but mm-hmm. I... Uh, took a nap this afternoon and then um, had my day keeping my kid. And then I put him down, went back to get the monitor and I knew I needed to charge it. So I was like, I went to get it. I left it on the bed from when I took a nap and it wasn't there. And I looked all over the room and I didn't see it. And then I saw it on my wife's side on her nightstand, plugged in charging and turned on. I have Mm. no memory zero memory of doing any of that. Now I have to believe I somehow did that. No memory of it. So uh, was it a friendly ghost? I I literally thought to myself, well, if we have a ghost, I guess at least it's efficient and friendly because for being helpful Casper. yeah. 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 Super strange. I have no, no memory of that, but I can only imagine being a six year old and having something, you know, where you had an experience take place and then you see, something that lends some proof to that experience. Do you feel even as a child that you were very intuitive? I know that was a young age, but did you have situations where that happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Right. Right after that time, before like the stuff, the big stuff happened um, that I'll get to. um, It was right around that time. I think uh, my sister was born. I was about seven, seven and a half. I was an only child up until then. Um, but right around that time, my great uncle died. So I'm the only one who really has a memory of him. We called him Tone Tone. He was my, my, I'm the first generation born in the United States. Um, so I, I just, I loved the guy and I remember having a close relationship with him. And then I found out he died and I can remember being in the bathtub Mm -hmm. at that young of an age, which is really weird. It's a very vivid memory. And like, thinking like, oh my gosh, like, I don't want to see him. That would scare me. And I can remember like saying out loud, like tone, tone, um, I don't want to see you. I think that would scare me, please. I don't want to see you. And um, reflecting back, like when I was typing out my story, I just thought now being, you know, an almost 43 year old and having raised a ton of kids and working with kids a lot in my life, like that's a really weird thing to happen for like a seven and a half year old to like have this awareness that like I might see him and I don't want to um at that age I hadn't really watched scary movies like I don't feel like my family really talked about things like that like that was really weird to me do you kind of have a a theory that maybe you were saying that because there was like some kind of presence that you you sense after he died Mm -hmm. I think um I just had this realization that like um he was still kind of around Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like I kind of set this boundary either in my brain or with whatever really is out there that like, I don't want to see. Mm. And, um, I really have never seen, I mean, I've had like mind's eye experiences, but like when it comes to, you know, oh my gosh, there's my dead 
uncle standing in front of me like that has not happened to me and I, I think I've always been grateful for that I think I like shut that off I think you know maybe I was born with some kind of sense about me but was not willing to actually see the things I, I think it's so interesting like I mean even without the 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 possibility of of uh paranormal things in the equation just how like kids at a really young age process grief and how like um you know I, I've learned a lot of this from Kat because she knows so much about childhood development and different stages of it and how like at, at a certain age you can't even comprehend something like death being permanent so you know I don't not to to discount whether you sense the presence or something but I I almost wonder if like you know that kind of anticipation of like oh I don't want to see you like maybe that's has something to do with with not being able to fully understand what death is and I I don't know if I as an adult fully understand what death is but Yeah. What's really interesting to me um, is when I was much older and a mom myself, so probably in my my 20s, um, I um, lived with my grandfather. So it would have been the uncle's brother for a little bit of time um, when my son was little. And only then did I learn that my my great uncle was psychic and a medium. And he um, there's even stories that he would do like um, was it astral projection? Like they wouldn't Whoa. hear from him for a few days. And my grandpa would go to check on his brother because he was diabetic. And my grandpa would get into the apartment and he'd like wake him up and he'd be like, What are you bothering me for? I was on the Great Wall. Like, what is happening? Like, I'm fine. I told you sometimes I take these trips. And um I, I didn't know any of that until I was in my 20s and an adult. And I'm like, dang, I kind of missed, like, I wish I could have had a conversation with him. Yeah. Because um, apparently he was super gifted. Oh man, I would love to be able to astral project my body anywhere. I think that would be so cool. I think I would be terrified. Like, what if I can't get back? Oh yeah, I'm that person. Like, if I get a piercing, and you know, when you get a new piercing, you have to like leave it alone for a while. I'm always like, what if I can't get it out? What if, what if I can't get it out? You know, what if I can't get back? The relatives that that shared that with you, did they believe that he really was doing that, or did they? One hundred percent. I I learned more in adulthood that um that part of my family, so like my mom's dad, and this was my mom's uncle. Um, they are very much. I couldn't. I thought it was normal that when um you know if they found out I was sick, they would call and oh, you know, I'm sorry, you're sick. We're sending you all the love and light and healing and energy. And I just thought that was oh. normal. You know, I didn't, I think they were much more into that that aspect of things than I, I even realized until I was an adult. Yeah. So, so it wasn't like talked about in front of me as a child. Right. With that being said, things kind of started to ramp up at that home. Um, can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that? So after my little sister was born, she got the room across from my folks because, I mean, there's a baby. And um, so I moved down the hall and the room that I was in was like the, the, it was at the end and there was a room next to it, which was like our playroom. And so if you think back like 70s and 80s, it used to be like a Jack and Jill room from what I understand. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there was like wood paneling, like they had closed that off and made it two separate rooms. And so it started to where I'd hear like, like knocking, like somebody was on the other side of the wall and not like, um, I mean, I didn't think of this then, but looking back, it wasn't like animal sounds where it could have been like a scurrying because I've overanalyzed my memories a ton. It was legit like, you know, let me in, like knocking or like scraping. And so that like started the thing where I was like aware that like, hey, this is kind of creepy. And so I'm like eight, eight and a half at this point. And I just remember being so scared in that room. And 
realizing like there there's a man in my closet like I couldn't see him I just I just knew that there was this man and like in my mind's eye I could see him you know sitting like like not moving but in that closet and he had one eye and I know that's the stupidest thing ever and when I say it I want to laugh at myself like there was a one-eye man in my closet who was unalived I don't know anything else I just knew that that was a thing and I would hear these scratchings and these bangings and I'd be in my bed and I could feel somebody standing next to the bed. So I knew the one-eyed man could come out of the closet. Um, I would wake up and things would be rearranged in my closet. You know, I had stuff up on the top shelf that I couldn't reach. I never heard anything fall, but these, um, I had these Gerber baby dolls that were like collector's items in these boxes that I had, but I wasn't allowed to play with them. And they'd mm. be down and all the, the doll parts would be out, like the little things that go with them. And I would get in so much trouble because they're like, why are you getting into the Barbie, the, the dolls? Those are, uh, you know, we're saving those for you. And I never would say like, it was the one I'd man in my closet. I would just, you know, kind of take it, clean it up and put it away. Um, and so there was always this knowing that he was there, there would be sounds, there would be feelings. And so it got to the point where every night I must've been in um, third grade or fourth grade, I was so terrified to go to sleep at night between the sounds and the feelings that I would roll up like um, either dirty clothes or an extra blanket and put it under my door and leave my light on all night. So my mom wouldn't know that I was awake at night. Mm -hmm. And until I could, you know, you know, you, like four in the morning or three 30 in the morning where you see the hint of daylight starting outside, then I would allow myself to try to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I, I used to go to sleep with um, the, the radio on before I had a TV and um, it had two red lights when it was on. And I can remember one night just being terrified and I could feel him like right next to my bed and I'm facing this way, you know, facing the radio. And um, in my little kid brain, it was such validation that the two red lights went to one red light. And I was like, yep, the one-eyed guy, like that's oh. it. He took an eye away, like I knew that was him. Now he's turning these lights off to scare the crap out of me. Like the, the one-eyed man was just a terror. And you know, a lot of it, I think I could look at is I was a small kid and maybe I had a super active imagination, but the terror was so real that I literally would make myself stay up all night long. How long did that continue for? Were you able to get any resolution? No, we moved away. So that lasted until um, I was about to enter fifth grade and we moved out of that house. Mm. So I think things started when I said, I said like six and a half, you know, ish years old, I could be wrong on, on ages there, but relatively before my sister was born up until we moved away. This episode of the Real Hauntings, Real Ghost Stories podcast is brought to you by Wild Grain. Hey y'all, it's Noah Daniels and oh boy, I just got my box of wild grain bread and pasta. My whole family has been so excited to dive in. We started with a sourdough and it was amazing. If you're looking to make Mother's Day brunch planning easier or just looking for a great gift for your mom, you've got to check out Wild Grain. Order before May 6th to get your box in time for Mother's Day. Wild Grain is the first ever bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes frozen in 25 minutes or less, no thawing required. The next thing up for us to try is the biscuits with our breakfast. And you can now fully customize your wild grain box, so you can choose any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. When you go to wildgrain.com hauntings to start your subscription. 
You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash hauntings. That's wildgrain.com slash hauntings. Or you can use promo code hauntings at checkout. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. And did you ever discover any trauma that had taken place in that home? No. And so I haven't, honestly, I haven't thought about that home in a long time until I started listening to the podcast again, or to the podcast in general. And I started thinking, and that's when I started kind of critical thinking like, oh my God, I never told anybody. So that's super weird. And um, I had never tried to like research the house. I mean, I can tell you the exact address. I can still visualize it. So the half an hour before we started this, I tried to like, let me just, let me just search. And I, I, I don't know how to do that. And I couldn't find anything. I'm like, how do they do it on these shows? You know, the, um, like the, the ghost shows where they're like, Oh, we found out that six people died on this property. Like, how do they do that? Yeah. yeah they, they have like a, a, a PA doing that for somebody. Yeah, to... well, I don't have one of those apparently. Right. So, Someone with a master's in library sciences or right? something. So I can say, so this house was at the end of like a neighborhood street and we were at the very end and there was a wash. Um, so there was like a fence and like, you know, a wash. Do you know what a wash is? I've said it to people here in Montana and they don't know what a wash is. I do not know what a wash is. So it's like concrete. It's just like water runoff or, I mean, I don't know what the oh. real name is. We call them a wash. Like connected to like your uh, your gutter hose drain. Thing? It was it's okay. like a whole structure. Like you could get down in there, and like people used to skateboard in it when it was dry. It was like a big concrete water hmm. drainage thing. I don't really oh. know. I know we called it the wash. All so right. there was like no houses on that side. Um, there was no no more street. And then back, if you jumped that fence and you went back behind in the hill, there was like railroad tracks there. I can remember my stepdad taking us and like putting quarters on the tracks, which is very dangerous. 10 out of 10, don't recommend. You're not supposed to do that. It might be illegal. What? Okay. I have heard that this is dangerous. I don't understand. Like what could, like, it's not going to derail the train, right? Or, but I don't know. That might like... just be the, the like, um, what's the word I'm looking like folklore that it could, it could do something like that. I don't know. I just have been told like, that is a bad idea. Don't do that. And I was like, oh, great. My stepdad taught me that. Um, <laughs> maybe like it could shoot the quarter out at you or something i don't or... know so like it, it so it's like kind of that re this remote area at the end of a neighborhood and um so i don't know if anything could have happened in that area i don't know the history and then the house that was on the other side of us um my parents became friends with the neighbors um at some point and learned that that house used to be uh used as kind of like a, a nursing home so like there had been deaths in that home um 
and, and I only learned that as an adult, you know, talking about like my mom still doesn't know all the things that, that I experienced in that house. And I'm like, I am almost 43 years old and I still haven't like told my mom about the ghost. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you think it is that like, I, well, you mentioned when you were a kid, like uh, adults were like kind of scary or intimidating to you. Mm-hmm. Do you think like there's a, a, a fear of, of not being believed or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without getting into too much of like my, my childhood and all of that, I think, um, I definitely felt like, um, not heard, not seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you kind of learn that as a, at a young age, you don't feel the need to share those things. Yeah. You don't like, why am I going to say anything? They're going to say, it's just my imagination. Or why am I going to say anything? They're going to say, I'm just dramatic or, mm-hmm. um, you know, things along that line. So not, not being validated in those formative years, um, changes your concept of the world a little bit. Yeah. That it is yeah. weird being a kid and having to walk that line with adults. My parents were convinced that somebody had pulled my jeans out from underneath the stall when I was like 10, I guess at school and had scissors and cut a hole in my jeans. And then I guess threw them back to me. And I told them, no, I was on the playground and it got caught on a nail and ripped it like on where the slide part was. They would not believe me. They said it was like too clear of like a cut, like it didn't look like a rip, I guess. And for like a week, I was like, you know, in my 10 year old self being like, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. And I finally just got to the point where I was like, okay, you're right. Somebody Mm -hmm. did that. And then the principal walked me through the lunchroom to see if I could identify who had cut my jeans with scissors and of course I was like I don't I don't see him sorry we'll never know and when I later as I became an adult I told my parents I was like you guys realize how wild it was that you made me do like a perp walk and try to (laughs) convince that they're and they were like sorry we just I was like no I literally ripped it on the playground and uh, (laughs) not exactly connected to your story but it it, I'm just saying that kids aren't often believed and um even as a two having some hmm, I was about to say having someone who's a two-year-old even having a child myself I try to be more careful in giving him validation you know in his ideas and his opinions even if I know like you know, it's ludicrous what he's saying because he's two, but I want him to have that confidence growing up that he can come to me with the craziest story. And then I, as an older person, adult can make my own determination of what's going on, but I don't want him to ever feel like he's not going to be validated. So he's going to keep whatever that is inside, because like you, I kind of had that same deal with, with my parents. Now, you're a little bit older than me, but when, but not much, but um, I can remember, you know, like in the nineties when we started getting computers and that was where I made connections where I could share my ideas and thoughts. And so Mm -hmm. instead of going to my parents, I would go online to like, you know, AOL chat or whatever version of whatever. I just heard it in my head. Like the dialogue. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so not super relevant, but I guess an overshare nonetheless. So you had these things going on, but you weren't the only one who experienced some creepy kind of unexplainable stuff. Um, did something happen to your dad as well? Yeah, my stepdad and my mom. And so I didn't learn about this until years later. So this is their story, um, that I, I did not know until 
again, I was probably, you know, late teens, early twenties. So, um, when my parents, you know, when you had an actual landline and you had phones in most rooms, they had a corded phone. They had, you know, also a waterbed cause you know, 88 school year and they had their phone on their headboard. And, um, the, the story goes that one night, you know, the phone rang. And so my stepdad answers the phone and he hears this voice that says like nurse or something along those lines. That's how they tell it. And he was like, Oh, sorry, you know, wrong number. And, and he hangs up the phone, phone calls back. And so this, this happens about three times, always saying nurse. And, uh, he's like, you have the wrong number. And so finally my stepdad gets very agitated and he's like, you've got the wrong effing number, like unplugs the phone, slams it down and they start to fall back asleep and the phone rings again. And he answers the phone and the voice says, Ed. And so that was my stepdad's name was Ed. And um, I, I can remember um, seeing that phone smashed on his workbench in the garage, like later on. And so apparently he like took it out there and like beat the hell out of the phone and that was the end of the phone in his room and he is a very skeptical man he doesn't believe in much he will argue with anybody about anything he's no longer my stepdad but he still has those qualities he um you know he just he is very closed-minded and um you know so for him to tell me this story when I was an older teen younger 20s I just thought like holy shit you know that had to have happened because he does not believe in anything like that yeah, and the fact yeah, that he smashed the phone yeah, up. It's, yeah, that's. And you know, I reflecting back, I thought, okay, if it was like a cordless phone, like maybe it could pick up other weird things, but it was a corded. Um, yeah, yeah, phone. cordless phones were weird in that way. You could pick ours up in our home and hear the neighbors talking on their phone. Um, yeah. Which is oh, super strange yeah, now that I think creepy. about it. Creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um wow that is haunting that's one of the more haunting stories we've heard so clearly that had some connection with that um nursing home that used to be next door and i found out about that story and then the nursing home you know uh, next door like i found out about that around the same time um so it's not like i knew that and then heard like i i think it might have been the same experience the same story you know coming from my folks having that conversation um, and having my mom and my stepdad like validate that story together, like they were mm. both there and experienced that. Do you remember at the time, did you have an explanation as to why there was a smashed phone on your stepdad's workbench? Not at all. And it never even like, occurred Man. to me to ask. I was like, oh, well, that's broken. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I grew up in the time frame of like, hey, go outside and play. Here's your bike. Don't come back for an hour. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I also decided, so um, after it was a nursing home, uh, there were some neighbors that actually it might've still been that kind of the owners at the same time was before the new neighbors moved in. There was a um, a man who was um, had some cognitive struggles. He was probably in his thirties, but was more about 12 years old. And the whole neighborhood called him Roger Dodger. He drove a little golf cart and I was like, I'm going to be friends with this man. And so it was right about that same time that Roger Dodger and I were pals and I got one of those like, hey, go play for an hour. And they literally probably locked the front door. And I decided that Roger was cold. So I was going to make him a little campfire in the front yard. You know, I had the little little rocks in a circle and we're just out there hanging out. You know, I made him a little campfire. And I think that's when I saw the phone smash because I was out there digging for matches to try to start this campfire for Roger Dodger. I got in oh real gosh. big trouble. Yeah. I thought you were going to tell us that they were like, there is no Roger Dodger or something. I mean, I, no, my parents remember him very much as a, you know, embodied human, real life yeah. 
in so. <laughs> body. Uh, so yeah, that that was I know that was pretty off topic also, but that was connected to my memory of actually seeing the smashed phone out there. Wow. And so you left that home mm-hmm. and you also mentioned in your email that you had a recent experience mm-hmm. as well. Is that true? Yep. I've had a handful of things over my life. I've always had this knowing, um, you know, I've gone into places. I just recently went and visited my brother in Portland. We went to this really cool coffee place. Apparently the only public restroom, you have to go like down into this basement and have a key. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. Like I love old buildings. I love the architecture. We get down there and my brother and I get off the elevator and we turn to go to the bathrooms. And all of a sudden my stomach is just like, nope, like this is not a comfy space. Like to the point where when we were leaving, I was doing that power walk to get to the elevator. Like, you know, when you're a little kid and running Mm. up the stairs in the dark and something's coming. So I've always had kind of this sensitivity. My most recent um, experience, I live in Montana. And so I travel quite a bit for work and we um, had to go stay in in Missoula, Montana, which is the pretty side of the Mm -hmm. state. And we like to do Airbnbs when we travel because then we can cook food and we aren't trying to eat out and um, really cool place. Um, We were super excited about it and we pull up and we're getting luggage out and I'm the first one to access the house. You know, there's a keypad. God, words are hard uh, to punch in. I get in and I hear this man's voice distinctly from the stairwell saying no one. And I just froze. And I was like, oh shit, somebody's in this house. Like, I don't know if I should holler out. I don't know if I should go up the stairs. I don't know if I should like back out slowly, but somebody's in this house. So when we had pulled up to the house, I should note um, the house to the right of it was um, an empty house. It wasn't being habitated. Like they were rebuilding it. There was um, equipment digging up the ground. Like there was nobody living in it. And then the house to the left, um, there were no cars there. There was nobody home. Um, when we pulled up, because I thought this is a really quiet neighborhood. So I hear this voice and my um, my friend, my coworker, she comes in and she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. She laughs at me because I am a spiritual human and I'm always like, well, what if? And so I turn to her and I know my face was just like, I don't hide emotion or feelings very well. So my face probably looked very strange. And she looks at me, she was like, what? And I was like, panicked still. I didn't know what I wanted to say. I didn't know if this was supernatural. I didn't know if there was an intruder. And the keypad then says um, disarmed, but it's a woman's voice. It was like a talking keypad. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I must've just heard that. So at that point, because I didn't hear any more noise upstairs, I realized like there was not an actual human. um, And I didn't want to freak her out that I heard this very distinct male voice um, say no one. And so I just kind of let it go. And I was like, well, I'm not going to freak her out. I might be uncomfortable for a few days, but I'll be fine. And so we go up these stairs to where the bedrooms are to start unpacking. And the minute we get to the top of the stairs, Stephanie looks at me and she's like, I can't stay here. I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, something does not feel okay here. Number one, the AC doesn't work, it's hot. But she's like, Mm. I feel very uncomfortable upstairs. I don't know that we can stay in this house, but I can't sleep up here. And I was like, okay, like, what if we like slept in the same room? Cause we've done that before. Like, and she was like, no, I can't stay on the second floor. So um, at this point, I'm like, yeah, it is kind of creepy. Still don't tell her about the voice. So we end up spending um, our whole trip there. We hauled mattresses into the living room downstairs and literally slept on two twin mattresses right next to each other where we could leave the TV on all night. And that, that first night in the house, I had a very hard time sleeping. And you could hear, it sounded like TVs on upstairs, you know, like you're hearing dialogue and conversations back and forth, but where you can't make out words. So like a TV through a wall. There's no TVs upstairs. There's not even like air conditioning upstairs. There's a window unit. 
So there's no electronics, no radio, nothing that could have come on upstairs. And you can literally like follow like male voice. Oh, that might be a female voice conversation and um, creaking and like um, the sound of somebody sitting on a bed upstairs in an old home. Like you can kind of hear that on and off. And so I thought like, what the heck? Like clearly this place, um, we're not the only people here. We're just the only ones you can see. And how am I going to get through this and not react? And I don't want to freak Stephanie out. And I also don't want her to make fun of me if she's not experiencing any of this. So then the next morning we leave to go to the conference that we're running and in the car, she's like, okay, so that place is haunted. And I was like, Stephanie, you just said the words haunted. Like what? You don't, you don't believe in that. She's like, nope, that place is haunted. I heard voices upstairs all night. I heard the creaking. Um, I will not be sleeping upstairs. We will continue to be sleeping downstairs. And, um, what are we going to do? So the reason we were in Missoula is we hosted like an indigenous doula training um, that we sponsored for, for people in that community to, to get together and, and get certified. And we had made these really awesome swag bags that included like sage and sweet grass. And so we were like, okay, we're going to come home tonight. We're going to make dinner and we'll just, we'll just sage the place. You know, maybe, maybe that'll be helpful. And we had in, invited um, two of our uh, doctorate level researchers that work on our grant um, over for dinner and we cooked for them and we had told them that we were creeped out in the house still didn't tell her about the man's voice though because I didn't want to really put her over the edge and so the two gals are like well we're going to go look upstairs while you guys are finishing getting dinner served and so they go up there and they both come down and they're like that's a whole heck of a lot of nope like my chest hurts it's tight um, I don't know what is going on up there which was the same physical response I felt yeah. up there I felt like um, if I were a medium or if I were psychic, like I felt like somebody maybe died up there of like a heart thing or a breathing thing because it was very hard to breathe up there. Mm. And so hearing these two doctorate level researchers that I respect so much talk about how horrible their bodies felt up there and how creepy it was. Um, we got out the, the sweet grass after that and, and smudged the whole place. And honestly, it felt a lot better. Mm. We realized we'd hear more noise if we cussed. I'm a very cussy girl. And um, they didn't like that. And I kind of just had this realization um, that everything in that house was brand new. Like the barbecue was brand new. All the dishes were brand new. I looked at the house. It was built in 1899. And I think it must've been recently turned into an Airbnb. There wasn't any reviews on the site. All these things are brand new. And I thought, okay, hold on, wait a second. Like if I was a spirit trapped in my home that I had for however long and all of a sudden all these people are doing things and coming in and out like well who's going to be here tonight I'd be pretty pissed off and uncomfortable so we just decided that we were going to be like hey we're leaving we'll be back at six hey we're going to go home in a few days like we just would announce our arrival and our departure and my friend Stephanie kindly named the the presence Jeff and so she'd be like hey Jeff we'll be back later and we worked really hard not to drop F-bombs and the place felt a lot better. And um, it, it turned from really creepy to just kind of quirky. Wow. I'm glad it uh, got better because now it kind of sounds like, you know, just a fun coworker sleepover party. Like <laughs> right. and, and mattresses on the floor. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, there was this really creepy basement there too. So like you could do laundry in the basement and it was off like the back side of the kitchen. It was like a pretty close, it wasn't like an open floor plan. If you think 1899, it was kind of a galley kitchen and towards the back of it, there was a door to go outside. And then there was a like a walkway down into a basement, no door on it, nothing. And that was a little bit terrifying. Like that's where I felt super uncomfortable there too. But um, 
I think that might just be the old house factor. Like I take the time to like analyze, is this like creepy old house factor and this weird basement that's still got like some dirt floor and spot and weird rooms in it? Or is this like something I'm actually experiencing, not just thinking about? And so, you know, I could identify that that was probably just the vibe of the house, but, but Jeff, I mean, he was very real and hearing his voice, I've never heard a voice like that before in all my experiences. I've always just been a mind's eye feeler or things have been moved or I hear things, but not like a voice. That was mm. pretty interesting. And hearing those noises and voices upstairs, that would be pretty terrifying to me. Yeah. I mean, I tried to find a way to talk my, like be skeptical of my own experience. I try to like look at things that way. Okay. Could this have been, is there a hidden Alexa in here that's playing something that I didn't see? Is there a TV I didn't know about? And in between the two rooms upstairs, this was pretty creepy. Um, maybe just vibe wise, not paranormal, but there were two bedrooms upstairs with a bed in them. And then there was a door in between like another room. And we're like, what is this? We didn't know there was a third room up here. And so you open this room and it's just a, a paneled room with a window at the far end. And it has zero things in it, except for like the box of a pack and play, like baby crib, travel crib, like a brand new one in a box in this weird room that has this weird closet door and no furniture, no decoration, no nothing, no mm. nothing being stored. And I was like, that's really strange to me. Like, I wonder if they, there's issues with that room to where they're like, we're not even putting a bed in here. Mm. Yeah. Just, well, I mean, maybe that's why they put it up as an Airbnb because they're like, oh, we don't want to live here. Yeah. <laughs> Stephanie actually um, messaged the owner or the person who runs it and because they asked for feedback on how it was and there were no reviews on this place nothing uh -huh. and Stephanie's like I have to tell them and so she was like so here's the thing we think your house is haunted we named him Jeff um, he doesn't like it when people cuss and he likes it when people acknowledge they're coming and going and then it wasn't scary anymore but like your house is not empty when you think it's empty <laughs> did they say did they anything? They were really interested and wanted to know more details and we're going to pass it on to the owners because it was just like the property management people. Uh, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Well, and honestly, and, in the, uh, the world we live in, you could market it as a haunted Airbnb yeah. and people yeah. would, you know, it would rent probably even more than it does now. That's really cool. Well, I don't know if cool is the right word. It's, it's very interesting, the kind of timeline of experiences that you've had. I'm glad that at least it sounds like you're not having the scary childhood experiences anymore. I so that, that's good. The home that we're in now, I'm not terribly scared. And we did have a um, kind of a thing that we thought for a while, my daughter fondly named him Demarcus. Um, she said he lived in her closet. My husband, who uh, was not a believer at all when we started dating, actually saw um, a little blonde boy in our living room at one point I can remember we mm. were just dating and I would spend the weekends here that I didn't have my kids from my first marriage and uh so I'm in bed one night and we're like putting tv on or something and he was going to lock up and all of a sudden like he comes running and we're bigger people like we're not small people so it's like thum, 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 thum. and he comes into the bedroom and he shuts the door and he's like standing there and I'm like what the hell is going on like Ryan what is up and he was like there's a blonde boy in our living room there's a blonde boy in the living room and you know he was he was kind of scared, but nothing. It doesn't feel scary here. He I like yeah. that. He was kind of scared. Yeah, I'd be freaking. <laughs> I would shit my pants. <laughs> he, was, he was terrified. He was so scared. And I mean, I was creeped out that night, but I've never yeah. felt like afraid in this house at night. Mm -hmm. um, and probably six months after that, I had, or maybe a year, I had moved in, and um, we had birds for a while, which was a poor choice because we thought we couldn't handle a dog, and so we decided to have birds. And like I was pet, thinking, pet birds yeah, or ghost too. birds. Okay. Yeah, no real ones. I don't know where to buy ghost birds. Do you? No, I don't think you okay. can buy them. I think they they just choose you. They buy you if, they're, if yeah. they're there. Yeah. Okay. 
So I was cleaning the birdcage one night. I, um, and my husband was at work. My kids weren't here and um, I still smoked at that time. So I like take the tray out of the birdcage and I go outside to dump it in the trash can. I'm like, oh, I'm out here. I might as well smoke because that's what smokers do. So uh-huh. I set the tray down and I, I have a cigarette and then I pick up the tray to come inside and I look at it or I set it down in the house, shut the door. And there's like this footprint in the dust of the birdcage. And I was like, what the hell? Like that makes no sense. How would that happen? It's too small to be my foot. Um, it was too big to be the size of my kids' shoes because I sure shit went and got my kids' shoes to like try to compare, like did my kids step in the birdcage? Or I don't even know how it would happen. It was like a big armoire birdcage. It wasn't like on the ground. And so, I mean, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's DeMarcus apparently. So there's been little things, but nothing terrifying. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of those stories with us. I think it certainly fits in well with our spooky October theme. Uh, it's definitely some some scares in there. <laughs> it's also just the general theme of the, the podcast. Yeah, but. it's I mean, really yeah. not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this month we're talking about ghosts. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. With that, I'm Noah Daniels. I'm JJ. I'm Valerie. Ooh. Awesome. Why do I have to give me my shoulders when I do that? I do it too. I don't know. And it I helps say... with the vibrato. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.